Hey, what's going on, No Bad Dog Army? I'm so excited to launch this podcast. This is, I'm not even kidding you guys, this podcast right here, I should be charging $100 for or more. These people paid $400 to have this conversation and and I'm and, and listen, you guys know me. I'm saying this because this information, like if you have a reactive dog, if you have a dog that's not listening, if you have a dog that's not paying attention to you, this conversation I have with these people is what I would put in a book. This would be my book. This is something that I would scale. Well, I do on my podcast, but I'm telling you right now, this is this is a very, very valuable podcast because these dog owners, like a lot of you listening, they have a problem with their dog and they're like, hey, my dog is reactive on the leash. They're not mean, they're just reactive. It's becoming this thing. We're moving and people are looking at us like we're, it's this whole thing. And by the end of it, they were in a master class of understanding why dogs do the things that they do. And all of this is their problem. And instead of worrying about the exterior behavioral problems, like the barking and pulling, they've realized that their relationship with their dog is way unhealthy and way off track. So uh, it, it j- just really good clients understanding this information. You know, They weren't trying to go off the beating path and say, well, the breeder and this, they were just like, hey, we realize everything you just said makes total sense and that is totally us. And now we have the tools and the information to be successful. So this is a absolute masterclass for anybody out there that is having problems with their dog. And you guys have heard me say some of these things in this podcast before, but the way that I was able to articulate the information Maybe it's because of the coffee I just had. I don't know. Or, you know, as a teacher and as a presenter and as a creator, I get better at putting pieces together and making like a comedian. They go out and they do bits and they do bits one by one and they make a special. I think I'm just, this is just all of that in one. It's a powerhouse. If you're having problems with your dog, please listen to the end. This is wonderful. And it's going to help so many of you understand uh, the things that you're struggling with. All right, you guys, um, if you live in the UK or you live in the London area and you do not have tickets to come and hang out with me this weekend, I am upset with you. If you have other plans, I understand, but if you this is your last chance to come and hang out with me until next year. I would encourage all of you right now, the tickets I believe are 50% off still because my team put them back on 50%, even though I told them not to. So you were coming out, uh, you can do both days for $300. It's a quarter of the price of the working spot tickets and you get all of the same information. You sit down, you can ask questions, you can take notes and we get to hang out. We can do pictures, we can do whatever you guys want. And I'm only saying this because every single time I go to a seminar, I get freaking hate mail from people saying, I can't believe that I didn't know you were here. I'm so disappointed. Or in the UK, they say, I'm so gutted. And so if you guys want to come hang out with me, you want to meet me, you want to be part of the magic that we're about to do in London this weekend, the September 23rd to the 25th, sign up. The link is in the description below. This is your last chance, guys. It's down to the wire. Come hang out. Come talk dogs with us. We drink coffee. I know my buddy Will Atherton's going to be there from Fenrir. We're going to have a lot of fun. He's going to help me out with some of the breakouts. Guys, this is it. The dog community, the no bad dogs community. Next year, I don't know. Maybe there won't be a next year. We don't know what my career is going to do after this year. It's been crazy. So 
If you want to come hang out, come do it. And the same goes for anybody else in the United States. We have a full U.S. tour that we are doing. Almost, uh, actually, we're doing one big loop around the country. The link is in the description below. Right now, every single working spot we have for this tour is completely sold out. So you have audit spots options for the seminar dates. We have audit spot options left for Texas, Florida, and Los Angeles. Link in the description below. And of course, at the end of this podcast, you guys, I will be answering three of your dog training questions. If you want to ask me, ask me your dog training questions, specifically, you're a fan of the podcast, you're listening to the podcast, but you have a specific question, all you guys have to do is go over to the iTunes rechart, review chart and leave a review and your question. And at the end, I answer them three every single time. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, you guys, this is absolutely for free and this is a masterclass, do me a solid favor and review the podcast. Um, we were the top dog training podcast in the country. And because I haven't been on in a couple of weeks, because we were also the busiest dog training company in the country, it seems flying all over the place. It's been wild. Um, yeah, we, we lost some of our rankings because I haven't been consistent. So I apologize, but we're back on. You're going to get another one on Wednesday. Go and review and enjoy this masterclass. So, We've had our, we have American bullies mm-hmm. and we, you know, living in Colorado, actually in Denver, they were banned. And we, every time we'd go to walk them, like people would say things to us and just, it was just very toxic. So we didn't walk them yeah. and um, we put them for, through training the first what, like year, I think. Yeah. And we did boarding and boarding with benefits. So they would, you know, board them, but also train them and play with them with other dogs. Well, once we stopped doing that, um, it kind of changed the way they are around when they're around other dogs, they get, you know, aggressive. How many, how many are we talking? One, two, three, two, 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 they're litter mates. Okay. So, um, what happens is, is when we're walking them they're they love people. They love all people. They love kids, but with other dogs, because they chase the fence in the backyard, we had a big backyard, which still wasn't good enough for them to get all the exercise they need. They still needed to go on walks and we didn't do that. Mm-hmm. So they would chase the fence as a part of like their daily activity. And, you know, other dogs would bark and they'd go back and forth on the fence in the backyard. Well, when we moved to Florida, we moved into a townhome. Mm-hmm. So we went from a very large space to a small space. And, um, you know, it, it makes it even worse. So we started walking them, but what we noticed is every time they get, you know, go past another dog, they crouch down, they're trying to, you know, uh, bark at them. Of course the dogs bark at them too, but it's just becoming overwhelming for us because we just really want to, you know, make it so they don't feel insecure with us (laughs) because I feel like they're trying to protect us or they feel not secure with us on a leash. So, um, we did. I'm going to purchase that. Um, I was going to purchase that uh, pager thing that you recommend on your on your um, Instagram, as well as one of those training callers. But we kind of just wanted to see what, you know, you can recommend to us and, and tell us what we need to do. <laughs> yeah. So uh, right now, just to recap, you have two American bullies. How old are the bullies? five next month yeah they'll be five next month okay and they were going to a daycare type of thing and they were good with dogs and then you guys moved and now on walks they're reactive 
Well, we stopped going to the board. So we would travel a lot. Um, we, we, my spouse's, uh, career is very, it, we would travel like eight months out of the year sometimes, uh-huh. but, um, they would go like once a month to actually stay at a, it was like a sitter's house and, um, it was, you know, a family and they also had other dogs there. So the dogs were able to act like they were home, you know, just, but around other dogs. So once COVID hit and travel stopped, uh, we stopped doing that. And so ever since then, they haven't had interaction with other animals and so with other dogs. And so now, um, now that we moved again, we haven't put them around other dogs. They, they haven't been able to play or be around other animals. So now they're, they're getting, um, you know, they get it, they get, they bark at cats. They freak out over any, any dog, animal, cat, you know, it's just, they want to kind of like charge after them. Well, it's more, it's more that they're vocal. Yeah. Um, the boy is very vocal. Like um, he, yeah. <laughs> he, he doesn't use like his, uh, what I would say his man voice. <laughs> okay. He would, he would, uh, he would only do that. Like if there was like an intruder or something, mm-hmm. but he's like yiping almost like, yeah, I got gotcha. you trying to talk to him, I guess. I got gotcha. you uh, on a roll on the stomach or something like showing that he wants to play. Whereas the girl, she's a little smaller and she was the runt of the litter. She's a little bit more aggressive as far as like, oh, I see another dog. I'm used to chasing dogs around this fence. You know, I'm I'm not having any type of barking at me. And and she will then if she can't get after them, she like barks at her brother and almost attacks him sometimes almost to get him riled up. So then he would show the same uh, aggression. Okay, so it's been very weird yeah but, um, so it w- was there a specific age that this this happened or do you th- do you think it was just when you moved around I think when we moved yeah i think when we moved around where we had a, a a different home with a fence and there would be a lot of dogs rolling around that fence there were yeah. pretty much dogs uh predominantly and we had a, like a larger space living on a golf course so they didn't really have anyone in their area okay whereas we moved in a different area where people would walk their dog, they would hear the dog. And then, you know, I remember seeing one of your videos, like talking about, you know, them not being walked. Well, the girl, the the runt, she's a knuckle dragger. And we didn't think at the time to give her like some type of, of uh, boots, you know, like footies to take her out. Cause every time she would go out on walks, um, she would just destroy her, her nails. Mm-hmm. And that kept us also from wanting to take her out. Um, especially not like on the street, like we could take her out on grass, like at a park, but we couldn't, you know, just walk around the block. Okay. So, so we, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So the reactivity that you're talking about, uh, we think it, it, it started and, and got worse, <coughs> excuse me, or it got worse when you guys moved, right? Yeah. Yeah. We moved a few times around Colorado, like Denver area. Um, and we did that because for the dogs because of the ban that they had going on yeah. and we were in downtown Denver and we would get like yelled at like by people, people would try to make it seem like our dogs were okay. you know, aggressive. And so we moved to like 45 minutes away from Denver and we had an even bigger spot of land. And, and around that area, there was a lot of dogs that were, you know, being walked. And that's, that's when it kind of this, uh, 
like this chase and bark. Okay, know, so by the fence kind of thing. Yeah, it's probably more of like a leash reactivity thing more than anything. So leash reactivity is a lot different from. There's a big difference between a dog reacting on a leash because they see another another dog, uh, and versus like the dog just being with other dogs. You know, there's a big difference between those two things for some dogs. So it's probably more just leash reactivity now that we're continuing to talk about it. It's probably leash reactivity. So I would say that a couple things. This typically stems from lack of uh, handling ability sometimes. This will get like worse because dogs – um, you know, don't have the right guidance. Don't like, I think you mentioned it. I don't know who did, but somebody mentioned like something about protecting you. And so all those things can, can definitely happen. And a lot of that reactivity, some is predicated off of your handling skills and your relationship. And, and also sometimes it's the breed and sometimes it's the other dog. And so there's a lot of uh, components that kind of go into this. There's a lot of variables, a lot of variables. That's why it's like, But I think at the end of the day, if you have a dog that is reactive and really isn't innately, inheritedly aggressive, like we've been playing with dogs before, we're fine. We don't, we're not attacking dogs, but what you, what you guys are describing is like a prey driven bark. It's a very common bark that dogs have. It's not an alert bark. It's not an attack bark. It's not a mean bark. It's just, I'm excited. I'm stimulated. There's things moving. I'm on the leash. They're on the leash. This is fun. A lot like you'd see a dog get like that if they saw a squirrel running around. So it all comes down to your handling and what you're doing about what happens. And those two kind of are merged together. So if they are reacting, you're out for a walk, they're starting to react and get vocal and and pull and do their thing. What do you guys do right now? How does that play out? Well, we try to pull them away, like distract them. Um, whether it be through a, a, a training treat or just okay. continue to keep walking. We try not to just stop and let them look at the other dog. and Because for some reason, the, we in the complex that we live in, there will be other people who we're acquaintanced with, and they'll, like, stop yeah, with their dog. With they, and, and even if they don't chat, they just – if their dog starts to bark at ours and ours at theirs, they just, like, stop so they don't keep walking. So then we have to then, okay, you know, adjust accordingly. The other thing we do is um, when we did train them in the beginning stages of their life, they, we we learned like whoa and you know heal and like you know just trying to get them. Anytime I say whoa, they'll yeah. slow down. Yeah. Um, and then our boy, he's a lot more with it. Our girl, I think she has a little bit of a neurological thing going on because she was like squashed at birth. They had a resuscitator. Um, so sometimes she's a little slow, like she's not as with it sure. and easy to train. Um, but our boy, he's like, w- he wants to be obedient. He wants to listen. So he'll stop and I'll distract him with a little training treat. As soon as I see a dog walking and I see that that person's not trying to go around us or I'll, I'll get him to sit and, and look at me and take a command and okay. then we'll keep walking. Um, but, so what type you know, of equipment are you guys using right now? we're not using anything other than a harness. Okay. With a, so yeah. yeah, gotcha. So, so my suggestion is, is to start working with this on the other end of the spectrum of, we don't want to right now we're rewarding this behavior. 
and we are not like assertively hitting it head on. So right. those are the two things. So, I, I mean, I probably should just ask this in the beginning, but you know, sometimes we like to have context and chat a little bit, but it really does come down to, again, if you don't have an innate aggressive dog that has serious behavioral issues towards other dogs because of past events or abuse issues or whatever the case is, um, honestly, like with me specializing and being an expert in behavior, it really comes down to like a handful of things. There's a lot of variables that are mixed around, but th- the reason why these things happen are are lim- somewhat limited as far as our handling skill sets and what we're doing, meaning like what are we doing that's setting this dog up for failure? And there's a couple of things that we have to check off. So if we have a dog and it doesn't matter if it's uh, reactivity or if it's jumping or it's not coming back when called, no matter what we're doing with our dogs – and they're not responding, right? They're not coming back when we're called. They're pulling, even though we said heal, whatever. They have to, A, know the the behavior that we want them to do alternatively, right? So if the dog isn't coming back when we call, they have to know what recall, they have to know what come is. If a dog is reacting and we don't want them to, they have to know what leave it is, or they have to know what heal is to move away. And then we also have to hold them accountable. Those are the two things that will solve traditionally, um, 95% of, of people's issues with their dogs is they don't know what they're doing is wrong and you're not holding them accountable for doing it. Those two things. And those are the exact two things that you guys also don't have. Plus you're adding in some other variables that will make it hard for you guys to progress as well. So you're, you're right now you're rewarding the behavior when it happens. So when the dogs start to react, the food comes out, ding, thank you very much. And then once they continue to react, we're trying to avoid the situation at all costs to kind of move away or to, to go away. So you're, so in other words, the dog is doing the thing that we don't want, but we've never punished them for that. Right. Does that make sense? Okay, cool. So that, those are the two big things that are happening right now is, well, three things really. Um, so I would, I would suggest, to stop rewarding the dogs when they start to react because you're only enabling them and continuing to reinforce the things that you don't want them to do. And I would be careful with, with that because then you're, you're just kind of creating, you're kind of stoking the fire a little bit. Does that make sense? Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. So I'd be careful with that. I mean, a reward system with dogs is, is huge. It's, it's more than half the game in a lot of cases. Um, but of course, when we're, dealing with things we want to discourage, we got to be careful what rewards come out and when and how often, because then it kind of takes away from our objective and it, it gets cloudies the water and muddies the water a bit. And a lot of times when dogs get really stimulated, especially when they have these prey drives, they typically just slap your hand out of your, out of their way. They're like, get out of here with that crap. I don't care. Or they'll take the treat and then they'll continue to react. So again, we're just stacking the things that we're stacking the cards against us. We're like, Hey, you know, I don't want you to react, but here's a bunch of food for reacting. And then we're like, Hey, why are our dogs reactive? <laughs> you know? So, yeah. so I would, I would limit that. Um, and I'll talk about how you should be doing that in the future. But the other thing that you have to do, and I think most importantly is making sure you have normal control over your dogs, like making sure that you can crawl before you can walk. And so oftentimes it, it goes in a sequence of, teaching your dog to walk nicely on the leash and them understanding what that is 
So when you say heal, the dog goes, I know I have to be in this area until my handler says otherwise, break or free or whatever. And then from there, you can start applying it to real world stuff. But right now you get, how, how much does your dogs weigh right now? Um, about, uh, Hanzo's like 60, 65 pounds. And then Bulma, she's like uh, 50. So you get, um, you get 50, 60 pounds at the harness and they're just pulling right through that. Yeah. They're yeah. trying to pull us. I mean, they, they calm down a little bit when we start the walk, but yeah, Bulma likes to, she likes to like, you know, she's, what would that be? Like she's forcing her walk. Like she's not relaxed, you know, her front, yeah. she's digging into the well, ground. She's just, she's just very excited. Yeah. Like she like the minute she sees us go near a harness, she's like spinning a spinning top. Sure. So it takes her like a, a couple minutes on a walk. Yeah. Just to get her to, you know, relax. But we also had the retractable leash and now we're realizing that's not good either. So, yeah, no, everything yeah. that you guys are doing checks out. Like it doesn't matter what profession you're in. If you guys went to a professional and said, Hey, these are the things I'm doing. Everything that you're doing checks out of why it's not working a thousand percent. You know, we're enabling the dog to pull by using certain equipment and not being consistent. We're not holding the dog accountable for the behaviors we don't like. And we're also on top of that, rewarding the dogs when they act bad. All the, all three, it's like ding, ding, ding. Yep. That makes sense. Sky's blue, grass is green. So, yep. so what you need to do is you need to get back down to the basics. So you have to teach your dogs how to walk nicely on the leash before we can tell them that they can't pull outside. Cause it's not realistic. It's not fair. It's confusing and frustrating to, again, you get a, you get a leash that goes from six inches to 15 feet in two seconds with a, with a piece of equipment on a dog that enables them and encourages them to pull. You're, you're not going to ever have control until the dog gets very old and just can't walk that good. Does that make yeah. sense? So, so you have to get back down to the basics and you have to teach the dogs how to heal first. And healing is the first step. It would be like trying to put your kid into kindergarten without them understanding the ABCs or understanding the colors or it's the foundation that is mandatory in order to go outside with an animal on a piece of rope and, and, and ask them to walk in slow motion. Yeah. Yeah, that makes perfect sense now that you're breaking it down like that. I mean, we've always felt like we were a little, you know, not really doing it right. But we're like, oh, the more we take them out, you know, it'll it'll all kind of even out. It's like, no, no. it's not. No, no. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. No, and sometimes it can make it worse, too, because it gets really frustrating for, for everyone. I mean, it gets frustrating for the two dogs towards you guys. It gets frustrating between them because you're building all. The, it's just a very anxious ball of energy, and it's not good. Right. So, it, yeah. and it all starts inside. You grab the leash, the leash and the harness. That means we're going somewhere. We're excited. And like you said, it's like, nope, stop, sit down, lay down, and it's yep. just constant, right? Constant. And we're just trying to hook in there, spinning in there, jumping in there, licking in there, jumping in there, whining in there, barking. It's like, you know what I mean? It's this whole thing. And it's just like this energy is like, open the door, open the door, open it, open it, open it, open it, open it. Open it, open it. <laughs> and there's two of them. <laughs> so yeah. it's so and and listen guys you know this these are all things that my dog does right now so i don't want you to i i, I want to be clear that my job is to simply uh, teach you guys that these things are all normal 
these things are all somewhat inevitable for dogs. Like, Hey, this means that I'm excited. Right. So, um, the, the, the what really matters is your ability to actually cap some of these things like, like a good parent would in situations of pulling into Disney and we're so excited and we can't wait to get out of that car. And then we open that, that door of the van and then the kids just run across the parking lot. So the, so my point is, is the excitement is that inevitable. That's not going to go away. Going outside for an animal on a walk is always going to be exciting. Like a kid going to see Mickey for the first time or the hundredth time, your ability to be able to say, Hey, sit, stay or whatever is, is what matters. So again, if I went to my door right now, my dog would be jumping up on all fours, excited to go out because it means we might go play Chuck it or we might go train. So what matters is, is my ability to say sit and stay and my dog will, or even downstay, my dog will go stay. And then I can open up that door 16 times and have the shrine circus walk in and nothing's going to happen. So it's important for you to understand, like, I don't want you to make, I don't want you to feel, cause some, here's why I'm saying this is cause some dog owners think like, oh man, we're going to kind of damper their mood or damper their, the, the reasons why we love them and their goofiness. And that's not it. It's your ability to just say, Hey, I know we're excited, but you got to, you know, think about, it's just like parenting. Think about it. It's like, I know, Hey, I know we're excited. Reel it in, pay attention, hold my hand, look both ways. Look at, you know, these are the things that you guys have to start doing. And honestly, it really does go really back to the foundation, you know, because if, if you're, if you're, and that's kind of like, again, my job. And I think the difference between me and a lot of other people is I help you build instead of telling all of the things you're doing wrong. I already told you what you're doing wrong. Now I got to help you build that up. And I think it's important for you guys to understand that when you go outside, again, you have these two animals uh, that, that aren't traditionally trained to walk nicely on a leash. So you, so they're already at the end of the leash and they have these harnesses and they're strong. So they're already pulling you. So it's kind of already this chore, which I don't think it has to be with you guys. And then when they see another dog, they're getting frustrated. And then historically judging by what you guys have told me is when they see another dog, they go, whoop, they go to the end of the leash and they start whining and they start jumping on the front end and they go back and forth and they're pacing. And then we as owners are like, hey, it's okay, come here come on, come on. And we're, we got the treat bag going and we're like, look over here. And we're just trying to do everything we can to say like, again, like telling a fish not to swim. You're outside. There's another dog. There's another animal. This is exciting. So again, just like I was talking about inside, it's okay if your dog gets excited, but you guys need to layer on the skill sets of heal, sit, leave it, etc. Does that make yeah. sense? Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, don't think of it as, and this is me just preaching. So don't, this is, I think a lot of dog owners will think of it as hiring somebody like myself to like, it's not like I'm a mechanic where you bring a mechanic, a car, and then they fix it. And then you go home. Cause that's what they do. The reality is, is these things, these external things that you are seeing, the barking, the whining, the lunging, um, the excitement, all of these things are predicated and built up off of many different steps that you guys are doing and it's your job to kind of decompress these things so the external problems you're having 
isn't like, how do I stop my dog from whining? How do I stop my dog from yipping and yapping towards other dogs? How do I stop my dog from pulling and whatever? All of these things is an accumulation of one thing. And the one thing is your foundational control. If I were to, and if you look at any of my dog training videos that I put up on YouTube for free for the millions of people who watch them is somebody comes in with a dog that looks like they want to kill me. And sometimes they do. And sometimes they have actually bitten people and hurt other dogs and these things. One of the, actually the first thing I do is I say, I want you to just walk around. I want to see how you walk with your dog. And almost every time you guys, the dogs go, they go to the left, they go to the right, they sniff the post, they pee on the post. And the owners are in the background kind of like, hey, hey, come, they're doing all these things. And the dog is just, the owners are clueless. They're just, the dogs just don't, it's like they don't acknowledge their existence. So you become this very, you kind of create this roommate status with this dog that you love and they love you, but they just don't listen to you. They don't respect you. They don't look at you for guidance. They don't ask you for permission. They're just, you're just kind of there. And so I, I just want you to, I'm just adding some context that some people come in with dogs who actually have a pretty severe bite history. And it's not me turning up. I'm going to stop your dog from biting people. I'm going to stop your dog from going after other dogs on walks. My job is, is to say the reason why these things are happening is because you don't have a foundation. So you're trying to pick out shutters and, and roof tile for your roof, but you, your excavator hasn't even dug a hole for your foundation. You don't even have a, have anything. So that's what you guys need to start working on is getting back down to the basics to say, okay, if I don't want my dog to get to the end of the leash and whine and bark and then potentially redirect on the other dog and make our lives stressful, you have to ask yourself and really audit, well, let's take the other dogs out of the equation and just go outside. Am I able to walk my dog for 10 feet with my dog not pulling me? And that's that's the question that you guys should start asking yourself and getting back down to the basics. Yeah. Well, that's definitely something that, you know, it, they do pull the first 10 feet. So, <laughs> and Bulma, our girl, she goes left to right, left to right, left to right, pull, pull, pull. Mm -hmm. Whereas Hanzo will like to stay by my side. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, and he's a big, he's the bigger dog. So, but he, he's like, again, he's just a lot more obedient. Um, and he listens more, but for her, she's back and forth back. At, like she's on a search, a hunt, you know? Yeah. 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 And there's, there's, and again, like split, splitting hairs here and getting granule. There's the training of again, like what can your dogs do and what they can't. So like, again, so the question I usually ask is, okay, your dog is pulling you from left to right. So they're already in front of you. They're already disengaged with you. They're already not listening to you. Even if you said, hey, come here, the nose is on the ground and they're sniffing and they're, they're hunting and they're, they're watching, right? And then you see another dog and then you go, oh crap. And then you go, hey dog, listen. And they're like, first of all, I don't listen to you without another dog around. Yeah. <laughs> now, yeah. There's, now there's a huge distraction or the biggest distraction arguably and now you're now you're asking for the dog to do something they they wouldn't do in normal circumstances. So, again, it comes back down to 
to that split of there's a reason why dogs don't listen and the majority of that is obedience and then the other half of that is is your relationship of how often do you ask your dog to do something without any accountability so if we say hey sit and the dog looks at us sit and the dog looks at us and we whip a treat out they put their butt on the ground we pay him with a piece of food and literally four seconds as soon as that treat goes down that dog's throat they get back up and walk away that is a template for i want you to do something the dog's like make me do it make me do it make me do it and here's a treat okay boom okay thanks bye and then right. you know what i'm saying so there's this accountability thing and i ha- i had this conversation with a dog owner that i put out on um my socials that i thought was like one of the most valuable pieces of content i could provide to a dog owner and it was if we're asking our dog to sit four, five, six times, three times, snipping, snapping, talking, cackling out of our mouth, reaching for treats, the dog puts their butt on the ground, they get their payment, they get this transaction, and then they move on. That is like the most basic thing that you can ask your dog to do, and your dog can't do it without a 20, 40, 50, $100. And then as soon as they get that money, they turn around and, and, and turn their back to you and walk away. And it's, tra- it's like a very transactional thing. It's only in it for them. And so let me, sh- let me go, let's start going over the things to start changing. So the first thing you should do is start holding your dog accountable. And I'll go over that in detail. Now, dogs don't speak, you know, English. Obviously, uh, they like with kids. We say, "Hey, if you don't stop, you know, doing X, then I'm going to take away TikTok, or I'm going to take away iPad, or I'm going to take away going to see Grandma, or whatever it is." There's my point is is you can translate and communicate to a human that there's there's repercussions and there's consequences for behavior because they understand that, right? And dogs do not understand that. So, 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 okay, next, how, how do dogs understand, uh, consequences and corrections and, and accountability? Well, if we, if we look at the way that dogs communicate with one another, it's, it's pretty simple. So let's say we have a dog that has a bone and they're laying on their bed and, uh, you know, another dog comes up and the dog with the bone starts showing teeth, right? And the other dog doesn't get the hint. They're like, I don't know what that means. I've never seen that picture before. I don't know why you're doing that. And then the dog gets closer to the dog with the bone. And then we hear this. Now we have teeth. Now we have a growl. So it's one, two, I'm warning you, right? And then the dog finally comes up and says, hey, what you got? Bang. And the dog gets nailed on the nose. And the dog tucks his tail, runs across the room. It pinched the dog. He's not going to the vet. He's not going to the hospital. The dog with the bone doesn't hate that dog. The dog just said, this is mine. And there's consequences for you coming into my personal space. And it looks like this. Okay. So, and, and, and I studied wolves for four or five years in Colorado and watched them and how they behaved with one another. Now wolves aren't dogs, but they're canines and they, they have very similar behaviors to some extent as far as how they communicate with one another, obviously not how they communicate with people. Very similar. And unless you've seen that, you can't really talk about it. Right. And I, and there's something I've seen a lot of. And so, you know, similar things, like if you see dogs in daycare and how they're playing with one another, right. They're rolling around, they're playing. And then once one dog has enough, 
right? They're like, okay, I'm tired, I'm hot, I can't breathe, I'm trying to catch my breath. And then you got this Energizer bunny, boxer, puppy, six-month-old, da-doing, 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 da-doing. They, the other dog may turn around and just grab the dog by the neck, pin it on the ground, twist and pinch and say, get out of here. And the other goes, ar, 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 and runs away. So my point is, is if you look at how dogs traditionally will communicate with one another, that's why I have a, really fallen under this like air quotes balanced dog training. I guess I, I'm really not a dog trainer. I'm a people coach to dogs. I'm not in the dog business. I'm in the people business. And my job is to teach you how to become better and understand what's happening. And so there's certain things out there. So the first thing I would recommend is getting yourself some sort of collar that holds your dog accountable because again, they're not kids. We can't talk to them and say, Hey, you're in trouble. We have to hold them accountable. And the closest thing that we can get to the, the natural things that dog understands is like a, like a pinch collar, a prong collar or a plastic pinch collar or a martingale collar or a slip collar, something that has action, something that can snap and snap the dog's attention and say, Hey, Pay attention. What you just did is inappropriate. Things like that. Now, every single dog is different, right? Every dog, every person is different. They learn differently. There's no way in hell we could sit here and say everyone's going to learn the same way. And if you don't fit into this, then you don't you don't get taught. And that's some people's unfortunate state of mind when working with animals is is if you don't fall under these circumstances and uh, this plan of learning, then you simply don't get better or you, yeah. So anyway, it's important for you guys to start holding the dogs accountable at a very small level, a micro level. Okay. So let's get one of the dogs out. So the other one's going to go in the backyard. The other one's going to go in the other room. The other one's going to go, and it doesn't matter which one you get a dog out and you start off with like a plastic pinch collar, which is essentially, and the reason why it's called a pinch collar is because you have to pinch it to put it on. It's not because it pinches the dog. So you get a collar that has action. So sometimes like a plastic pinch collar is essentially a collar that has all these little points of pressure. It's like little plastic nubs that go all the way around the collar. And what that does is it adds a very safe correction to the dog while distributing pressure evenly. So if you have like a like a different type of, like a flat collar. Flat collars are only really good for holding dog tags and, you know, getting dogs from A to B. It's not really great for communicating because it has no action. It doesn't, it doesn't tell the dog, it doesn't give the dog much information, right? So, so using this plastic pinch collar, you put it on, it distributes that pressure evenly. So you can basically flick your wrist and power steer these big, large dogs without, nagging on them and pulling on them and choking them out or putting a bunch of pressure on their chest cavities. We just flick our wrist. It applies pressure to the dog's neck. They yield to that pressure. You, you then pay them. It's called negative reinforcement. So negative reinforcement by definition is something that a lot of dog owners, if I said negative reinforcement, you would think something's bad. There's something negative happening and it's not, it's, it's a math equation. So negative reinforcement is so reinforcement is kind of contributing to the idea of what you just did. We want to happen again. We're like, Hey, this is good. And negative is taking something away that reinforces that. So if we add pressure to a dog's collar and then they shut it off by moving towards you, it's a negative reinforcement, like a horse. We give horse a little pressure back. The horse takes three steps back. We let the reins out negative reinforcement. The animal just understood how to yield to leash pressure. Does that make sense? Yep. 
Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. The prong collar um, is what they were using when they were puppies. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had that for a while. Yeah. So I, I remember that. I saw those on that site that you have. Um, yeah. On your yeah. You can is use. That, is that a good one or yeah, should those... I do that for them? Yeah. They're good. The pinch collar? Yeah. I mean, they're both good. Um, and again, like it, it's sometimes so yes you could use one or the other um the reason why i will sometimes um refer the plastic pinch collar the plastic is because it's it's better for dogs like you have where they don't have they don't they only have a guard hair they don't really have an insulator coat at all so like a german shepherd will have a guard hair coat which is like the long furry hairs that kind of keep them protected and then they have an insulator coat which is that that fluffy coat that sheds like crazy so usually bullies pitties um terriers in general boxers just things like that don't have an insulator coat so using a prong collar can sometimes be a little irritating especially for a dog that's learning how to yield like if we were to you know buy a new pair of shoes and go for a three mile run it might rub down on our heels right um until you break things in and then you can move so you can use a you can use one of the other, um, with, but it doesn't, it just has to be fit properly. And we're not, so the reason why I wouldn't use one of the other behaviorally is because if we have a dog that's very sensitive to leash pressure, meaning like if you just tap the leash and they run towards you and they go, Oh my God, what did I do wrong? We may start with just a slip leash because they yield to leash pressure so nicely. Those dogs are dogs who historically have had, um, you know, sometimes they're just sensitive, but a lot of times they're just, they're kind of mentally not in a good place. Maybe they've been abused. Maybe they've been trained improperly. Um, but that's not the case with you guys. I think you can use the prongs and you'd be fine. You can use the plastic pinch. You'd be fine. And, but you, so you get one dog out and you say, all right, you get, you get the, you get the prong collar on or whatever you're using, get your four foot leash, not a flexi. And the reason why, I mean, I could list a bunch of different things why flexies aren't good, but let's just, let's just say the main reason why you shouldn't be using a flexi to train uh, leash yielding is because of the inconsistency uh, in the control that you have. So you can't really feel the dog. You're holding onto a handle that then distributes the leash to the dog. You're not holding onto the, the, there's no change. You don't feel your own dog, right? They're pulling. And when you're handling a leash, it would be like trying to, teach a, a horse how to do something with, with a, with a long line or with a flexi that just goes in and out. I mean, that horse is going to take 60 feet like that, you know, yeah. you know what I mean? So you're using a, a fixed leash, if you will, to maintain consistency, to maintain control, to maintain feeling of the dog at the end of the leash. And so that's what I would recommend a four foot training leash, just a plastic pinch collar to start. You put everything on, you go to the front here and this is where, your relationship gets better. This is where your engagement gets better. This is where your confidence from your dog gets better. And this is where a lot of anxiety starts to go out the window because they're like, they're making decisions that they shouldn't be making. They're like, I'm driving the ship. Even though I don't have thumbs, I'm driving this whole thing. When you need to take back control and say, hey, you're going to listen to me. You're going to ask for permission. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that you have to go through me to get certain things. So you go to the front door you say, hey, dog, sit. The dog's like, nope, I'm excited. They're jumping. They're jumping. They're jumping. Now, let's just say your dog knows sit well. and Because to be honest with you, sometimes, actually a lot of times, dog owners do not even know that command. So that's where we start. And I've seen that happen. 
where the dogs actually don't know sit that well. The only thing that they know is if you hold an Italian deli in front of their face and put it up in the air, they sit. But out of that context, they do not know that behavior at all. So let's just say your dog knows sit. You go up to the door, you say, dog sit. They go, oh, I know what that means. They put their butt on the ground or they don't. They might say, I'm too excited to sit. Normally when you put this equipment on and we're getting ready to go outside, I fly through that door and this is what we do. So again, you're kind of starting off with this crazy mentality. And what you do is you say, sit. The dog says, no, you add a little bit of pressure. That, that's the first step to holding your dog accountable for something. I'm going to ask you to sit. You know it well. They say, no, thank you, because there's a door. You you put pressure. So here's what I want to break down, because this is important. It's not so much the sit that is causing your dogs to be reactive on the leash. It's the idea and the relationship you have that when you ask your dog to do a behavior with very minimal distractions or very minimal interference in the environment, your dog chooses not to listen. So that's like level one obedience. And then you go outside after your dog didn't listen and then we rewarded them with a walk. And then we asked them to do a level six obedience, which is walk calmly and nicely around another dog outside. And dog owners kind of scratch their head on why they fail. And it's like, if I laid it out this way, you're like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Does that, does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And with, with us, they have like separation anxiety. So if we went out to the, out the door at the same time and then broke ways, like Phil went one way, I went the other way to walk them and teach them. Do you think that'd be okay? Or should we just break that cycle where, well, I think again, and and this is a conversation that is, 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 is always happens where there's going to, so again, like think of, I always say micro macro, little big, the micro is asking your dog, asking your dog to sit and then them going, I'm not sitting. And then they push through anyway. And you're like, oh, screw it. We got to go. That's the reason why your dog doesn't listen. But that's also the reason why your dog looks at you and goes, you do have no idea what you're doing. You also don't hold me accountable. You also don't give me directions. You also don't give me discipline when I need it. Right. I'm just kind of living this anarchy like uh, type of life. And that's why your dog has anxiety. So again, it's not, again, and this is a question you guys are going to ask yourselves over and over again. And if we had three hours, you would ask it every 20 minutes only because it, it's, it, this is um, very routine for a lot of dog owners is they, they focus on the external, you know, you're like, oh, well, what about the anxiety? Or what about when somebody comes over and my dogs do, or what about when, you know, the mailman comes or what about when we're all of the things that we're discussing have to do with because when you ask your dog to do anything and something as simple as sitting down before you open that door to go outside, your dog cannot do. So the anxiety then comes from you left, you can't handle stuff. I have to come with you. I don't have any control. There's no filters. There's no, like if I took a ball, my dog loves the ball more than anything else in the whole world. And I threw it. My dog would look at me and wait for me to, to, she's like, is this, can I go get it? Can I please go get it? And if I said one word, which is the break, she's gone and she brings it back and she's having a good time and we play fetch. But there's also circumstances where maybe I throw a ball and she looks at me and maybe I see a car coming that wasn't. And I say, stay. And she waits. And then I give her. So the anxiety comes from all of the things that we're talking about. And I, in my experience with working with 
again, I know you guys called me for my dog are reacting and you're starting to realize like, oh, this is, <laughs> this is a lot more than just trying to figure out how to stop my dogs from reacting. But this is the most sustainable thing to help you guys out with your dogs because everything that you don't like will start to go away if you guys start working on these things, the anxiety and all that stuff. But again, let's go to anxiety. You go outside without the dogs and they whine and they jump in the door and they scratch the door and it's this whole thing. And my question to you guys is like, and I'm going to kind of answer this to be efficient here is like, what would you want your dogs to do? Well, I would want them to just go lay down and not worry about what we do because we're humans and they're dogs. But again, like you guys, if you guys went inside and even if you were standing inside with your dogs and you said, Hey, dog one, dog two, I want you to go to your beds and lay down and chill. You wouldn't be able to do that even if you were inside. So having the expectations that when you leave, you want your dogs to just go and disperse and lay down is not realistic. Yeah, when we when we decide to like go out and leave the dogs behind, um, they they know to go run on to their bed, and we usually reward them, and they're they're pretty good. It's just sometimes, like let's say, Shuri and I will be on a Zoom call or a call like this, right? They know that we're home, and they want to be up our butt, mm-hmm. and th- one one the. The boy will actually just relax, like he'll lay down. The girl will cry and cry, like, hey, like, what about me? Like, I, I want to be, you know, around. And that just actually happened. So she's been crying this whole call. So I went downstairs real quick and I told her no. And I put her on her bed and I told her to lay down and she stopped. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. you know, I'm just trying to be better about that because she gets away with a lot. We, we, we totally know this is because we've, we've been inconsistent and we, you know, they get away with a lot and they're home with us 24 seven. Cause we work from home. So it's like, you know, they, they just feel very, they feel whatever we're feeling. If we're, you know, they, they like a sponge with us. I feel like, because, you know, if we're stressed or we're having a call or something's going on, they, they absorb it. So um, the walking with the four foot leash and then the, um, the pinch collar do you recommend that i also we also get the pager collar too um the um so there's a uh i don't know how to answer this how do i i shouldn't say that i don't know how to start this answer okay so i think from my experience, I I would suggest you guys getting back down to, so, so to me, the pager would be kind of this, this shortcut. Like it would, it'd be like a, it'd be like lipstick on a pig type thing. It would be this patch job, right? Where, although it may be helpful for you guys in that moment, the foundation of why this is happening is still there, right? Yeah. So I would suggest you can kind of do both as you go, right? You kind of build up as you go. Now, let me let me back up a little bit. So I just did this uh, free dog training thing at the shelter. They had this pit bull that they've had for a year that is reactive to every dog that they have. Outside of that reactivity, the dog is great. Loves people, walks nicely on a leash, recalls, has fun, rolls around, plays fetch. The only problem they had was the dog's reactivity on the fence to other dogs. I put the e-collar on. I used the pager. The dog said, okay, I'm good, and then was neutral around every dog that he saw for the remaining of my time at the shelter for the first time in a year. Okay. My point by saying that is, is 
it can go in and disrupt behaviors that sometimes is unrealistic with physical corrections because the dog just doesn't give a crap about them or the handlers. Like I have a lot of clients that get dogs. They shouldn't. I have elderly clients that get dogs that weigh more than them. And it's not realistic for them to pop a dog on a collar or run out and chase the dog. If they don't come back, I, we use e-collars because it's technology that allows us to advance with everything in life, including e-collars. So for you guys, again, it, everything is kind of accumulating because of your lack of foundation. So my recommend, you could use the pager, but my recommendation is, is, is understand as a professional who, who does this every single day for the last 14 years is understand that the reason why these things are happening is because of your relationship. And the moment you start working on your foundation is the going to be the moment where everything else just gets better. Because if you're, if you're using the pager, to correct a dog for a behavior you don't like, but your dog is pulling and dragging you everywhere then after, we've kind of defeated the purpose of, of doing that because it makes right. us kind of lazy in a sense. And that's not what we want to do. We want to add it on to help us with certain things that are going to like finish this product project and are going to help us just like with those little things we just can't get done externally. And I just think that you guys are working on very basic things. It's like... my car won't run. My car won't run. I've tried everything. It's not working. And then they say, did you put gas in it? And you say, what's that? That's what's, that's the conversation you, in my opinion, that you and I are having where we have two strong dogs who has never been punished for the things we don't like are working on a piece of equipment that allows them and enables them and encourages them to pull. And I mean, there's a lot and we're reward. I mean, there's a lot that kind of goes into this, but again, I think this is something that you guys can get out of fairly easy with consistent training. But I think in the future, you'll, you just will see a lot less reactivity and you won't need to pay the extra money for the pager when your dogs just are like, Oh, you want me to, you want me to heal? You don't want me to react? Sure. Cause right now you just haven't like your dog, like, so um, we just had a couple out of states come in and our, my out of state program is basically a three day program that people come in and they, um, we, we work on certain things. And so two of them, and you'll see this a lot in my videos, same thing with you guys, my dog's done this, my dog's done that, my dog is this, and they've never, not once corrected the dog. Never. It's never happened. And then as soon as I put like a prong collar on or a slip leash on and I just pop the collar and I say, that's an appropriate dude, stop. And they stop and then I pay them and they're like, oh, this is much better. Everything about the dog gets more relaxed and chills and calms down and they don't have to undergo this taking of, I have to do everything all the time. So I just think with you guys, like you haven't put gas in your car yet. I wouldn't be, you know... Calling the, the the specialist down the road to say like, hey, this isn't working. You should just start with the very basics of walking your dog on the leash, holding them accountable, taking your time. I would say over the next two weeks, I would be working on the foundations. And in fact, I created a course for this conversation. It's called the uh, it's called the No Bad Dog Kickstarter course. And I made it in mind for people like yourselves who get into situations that say, hey, my dogs are in its accumulation. My dog has been barking. Now they're barking every time. My dog won't. It's just like it, it's everything. And the No Bad Dog Kickstarter course essentially is everything that you guys need to reinforce the things that you and I have said, teaching the dog to heal, 
teaching the dog to sit and stay before we go at a threshold, teaching the dog to go in their place, teaching the dog to recall and holding them accountable. So it's kind of this double build. I would highly recommend that and kind of working with that course over the next two weeks and doing everything that that outlines. And I, I don't guarantee anything because they're animals, but I could promise you this, that, that you'll be in a way better spot if you do that. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, that's very helpful. And then we'll do, we'll get that course and, and, you know, just have that as well, just to help us through. And I think that's awesome. Yeah. We'll get the equipment today. Like we'll go ahead and order that because that's definitely what we have to have. And then in the meantime, um, I guess we're just going to have to, I mean, obviously we have to be more patient when we are at the door with that equipment to go get them ready to go on a walk. Um, the minute they hear a walk, <laughs> they're excited, but uh, just taking our time so then they can spaz out and then relax and then we can put on the equipment to take them is um, what I'm what I'm gathering. Yeah. Yeah, I, right. and I just think like th- try to try to make it s- like simpler for you guys. Like think about it. Is if you guys have some time, you're like, oh, I don't work today, or I don't have anything till later, whatever. You have some time, you know, and and you, and you, you your objective is I want to go out with my dogs on a nice calm walk. They're exercising, we're exercising, we're in nature, they're in nature. This is great. But if you start off with this very like like crazy energy and then you blast them through that door i mean it's kind of like the the spaceship that you see you know on tv that's just and then all of a sudden you open that door and it just goes and then it just takes off and so just spend some time putting the equipment on in the house to start working on training i think a lot of dogs and a lot of dog owners just think leash means outside well, then the dog means leash means outside, but the leash for you guys is again, your, your ability to communicate with your dog. Like you haven't ever before it holds the dog accountable. So again, you put the dog in a place, let's say like you, I think you were saying that you worked on the beds, right? So you say, okay, let's go to your bed. You have the dog on a leash. You have the dog on a collar. The dog goes to the bed. You say, stay. The dog's like, mm. you, you take one step back. The dog's like, shoop. They come right off and then you correct them before all four paws get off and you say, no, you have to stay right there. So again, micro is you're optimizing and making your obedience or the behavior of stay better. You have to stay there until I release you. But the bigger picture is, is your dog's going to look at you and go, you're holding me accountable for the first time in my life. When I wanted to get off because brother or sister's running around or I heard a squirrel, you told me I couldn't. And that's a filter that your dogs aren't used to. And I think the more you do that, the better it's going to be. So put the equipment on in the house, work on the place, work on the stay. All those things are covered in that course that I was talking about to reinforce this. Cool. But yeah, that's what I would recommend is just getting back down to the basics, honestly. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. This has been super helpful. Very helpful. Eye opening. Good. I'm glad. I know it's, it's, I'm, I'm glad <laughs> it, it's always funny when people kind of sign up and they're like, we're just going to talk to this guy I saw on the internet about our dogs reacting. And then you realize like, Oh, <laughs> there's a lot more that, that needs to be done. And, and that's always like, that's good that, cause I want you guys to live happier lives with your dogs. And more importantly, I want your dogs to not be stressed and anxious and feel like they have to react and whine and bark. It's just a, 
it's it, like we had this shepherd that came in um, a couple of days ago in my out-of-state program, and he was like nasty and barking and reactive and just stressed and constantly fight or flighting. And I worked with her for about two days, uh, just a couple hours a day, just helping her control the dog. And at the end of the thing, he was just laying down on the floor chilling. He's never done that in his whole life, never. He's never been able to just lay down and be in, be in a public place. And he was, and there was dogs around and there was people around. And she was like, wow, I've never seen him like this. And I go micro macro. So the little pieces of sit, stay, no, I mean it, put your butt back down unless you're in trouble. And then I'll release you and Hey, get, Hey, come. And the dog jumps into the car and we correct him and said, all of those things painted a bigger picture where the dog is like, just let me know what you want me to do. (laughs) So yeah, the more you guys do this, I think you'll You'll, you'll, your relationship with your dog will get a lot better. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We want to eventually take them out, you know, especially on the beach or, you know, we want to, we want to have fun with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, that's what's, that, you know, mm-hmm. we just don't want to carry the apprehensiveness of being around other pets and feeling that anxiety of, oh, they're looking at us because, quite frankly, they are looking at us saying, these folks don't know what the hell they're doing. <laughs> So it ain't no different than it ain't no different than Shereen and I traveling, seeing seeing kids, you know, act mm-hmm. like gremlins at the damn mm-hmm. movie theater. Mm-hmm. You know, when they're airport. at the airport, you know, it's like whose kids are these? You mm-hmm. know, like exactly. They don't know. So it's the same thing. So no, you're reinforcing a lot of the 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 things that you know we needed to hear. To hear. Yeah. So we appreciate it. We'll establish new habits and routine and keeping our standards a lot higher with our pets and also with us. So. No, thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. No problem. I'm glad that, that, that this has been helpful. And one thing I'll point out is I use that as an analogy a lot about the kids misbehaving. And, you know, what you said was perfect. You said, whose kids? You're not looking at these kids like, these guys are little assholes. You're look, You're like, hey, exactly. where's, where's mom and dad? And why aren't right. they, right? And it's the same thing that I see. When I see people out with their dogs that are at the end of the leash, acting like gremlins, I look at the dog, and that's why I created the No Bad Dogs movement. Exactly. Because that's the thing. is like dogs like that, the dog owners are like, this dog's, you know, let's bring this dog to the shelter. Let's put this dog down. And I'm sitting there like, you guys literally created this monster 100%. So you're right. So I'm glad it's helpful, and it's been been a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. So, no, thank you so much. It's been great chatting with you. And we'll, um, and your course is online, right? So we can just yeah. go on your website and grab it. Okay. Yeah, you'll see. Um, I mean, I don't know if you're on um, Instagram or not, but if you go to Instagram and go to my link tree, which is just link tree. Yes. Okay. Just hit my thing and it'll, it'll bring you to, it'll just say my courses. Perfect. And then one last question for mm-hmm. the plastic uh collar and then the, uh, the leash do you have recommendations as yes. well on your link three for that okay yes cool. i would um <clears throat> so th- you can get it right on amazon or chewy it's called a star mark uh pinch collar and it comes in two sizes uh, i always like to tell people to get the small um because i feel like you have more uh flexibility because you can make it bigger or smaller the bigger links and the bigger prong are like really big so you can't customize it as much so I like getting the small uh, Starmark plastic pinch collar, um, and I usually get two of them per dog, especially if it's like in a, in a bigger dog, so that way you can kind of Frankenstein them together. And then 
And then I get a four foot training leash, which I have on my website, which you can purchase. And then I get a safety clip. The safety clip is the most important thing because that, uh, that'll allow you to like, if your dogs pop off for whatever reason, um, maybe the equipment fails or you put it on wrong or you weren't paying attention or whatever goes on. Um, you have that and the uh, safety clip and the leash are both on my website as well. Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. Good. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. You're welcome, guys. Have a great day and good luck with everything, okay? You too. you too. All right. Bye, guys. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, you guys, you've reached the end of the podcast, and the first question comes from K.T. Bodinsky. Tobinsky. K.T. Bodinsky. Hey, Tom, we absolutely love your podcast and videos. Five-star review. Thank you so much. Um, and then, okay, let's say we have an eight-year-old Border Collie German Shepherd Rescue. She has severe anxiety since adopting her, uh, specifically thunderstorm anxiety, which turned into reactivity after she was attacked by a Belgian Malinois. We've had great success with buckling down on the obedience um, and using the Hermspringer. From the time we adopted her, she has had a very bad jumping habit, um, which we have solved by the downsit stay house creating commands. She doesn't know place yet, but when she jumps... She would clack in people's face and it would continue to do that over the years when someone is down on her level. She has only done that when she's excited or being praised and it could be very scary for people who don't know how to interpret this behavior because it looks like she's biting their face. So for those of you who don't know, she's coming up and she's snapping her teeth, it looks like. Um, We were told by another trainer that it was probably just a neurological issue that she may have. Um, We have never heard of this clacking behavior Uh, before getting our dog. So our question is, is there something that can be corrected or is it just hardwired in? Um, Well, I I think if the, if the clacking is happening and there's no biting happening, it's probably just a tick. It's like some dogs have ticks where they do certain things when they're excited. Some dogs jump, some dogs spin, some dogs whine, uh, some dogs bark. Uh, And this could be one of those ticks, especially because you're dealing with like a border, you're dealing with two working dogs and border collies are just kind of cracky in the first place, which I love, but, um, I would just say that through maturity, it probably doesn't have a lot to do with like the attack or anything. It's probably just a tick that your dog has. And if your dog isn't doing any harm by it, or your dog isn't doing it maliciously, it's kind of like a, like an involuntary tick. I wouldn't worry about it much. And I would just be cautious about who you let your dog around in that state of mind. Cause she knows she's going to do it. And if it's people that you love and you trust and also love her and trust her, you would just let them know beforehand. Like, Hey, my dog does this weird thing when she gets really excited and kind of air snaps. And that's just what she does when she gets excited. Um, other than that, your obedience, you know, keeping that on, on lock to make sure that it doesn't happen. So Argus 0209 five-star review. Great trainer. Thank you so much. Um, appreciate the review. The next one is Des and Riley, five-star review. Listening to this episode hit my heartstrings as a dog rescue volunteer and a dog lover since the age of three. It was a breath of fresh air to hear advice from this point in particular dog. I have so much empathy for dog owners and dogs because very tough place to be in. The advice about using the mindset of working dog is probably the best piece of information you could give. Um, yeah, this is just a, an actual review. So I appreciate it a lot. Um, uh, there's a lot of things going on anyway. So this is just a review. Um, but thank you so much. I hope that, 
I hope that uh, you continue to support the podcast. R.I. Jerry, love this podcast. I'm so glad I discovered this podcast. My recent adopted a dog and has been struggling with many things. I find to learn something new each time I listen. I'm trying to decide a good slip leash and was hoping to buy one from the No Bad Dogs, but there are out of stock when I shop elsewhere. Um, yeah, I know we're working on that. I actually have to ask Elena, my assistant, about that today because I'm like, we've been sold out for a while. So once they're back in, uh, make sure you follow us on Instagram because that's where we post all the updates. And you can also go to our website and click uh, notify me when they're back in. And that's how usually everything gets sold out anyway. So you can do that. All right, Gunner and Maverick. I'm going to do two more questions because the other ones were just really kind reviews from the No Bad Dog Army. Gunner and Maverick. I'm getting a new pup soon as I have been thinking through the commands I want to use in watching your videos, I've wondered if I should even use the stay command. Should I just expect my dog to hold position, such as place or sit until I release him? Um, so th this is a good question. And this is the difference between doing implied behaviors and not. So the question is, is when you tell your dog to place, should you just tell your dog to stay or should your dog just expect to be in a place? And this is a question. This is a great question. And this is a great topic because there's, I don't want to say controversy around this, but there's a lot of people who get really upset, especially trainers. If you use stay. <laughs> so as you guys know, for me, um, you know, I'm a dog lover that turned into a dog coach for people. Um, and, and I just want to make the easiest content that people are going to understand. And so I don't get, as you guys know, I don't get super, super granule on the stuff that really doesn't matter for a lot of dogs. And, um, a lot of my clients come in already using stay or wait. So that's what I use. Um, so the answer is, is you can do both. You just have to make sure that when you start the, the place that it's implied that the dog has to stay there. So you would just use leash pressure until you break and you wouldn't use the stay. That's all. It's called an implied. The only thing, the only reason why I don't do it is because again, like I'm, I'm a dog owner and lover just like you guys. And I started off with stay because it's like the traditional thing that you hear people do. So I've always done that with my dogs. The only thing that I would say too, um, that I've had a problem with implied behaviors is it's really hard to use in, in situations where you want your dog to just stay. Like, because if you do implied, what ends up happening is like, if I wanted to go out my door, Okay. And my dog Lakota was excited to go out the door because she thinks I'm going to go play chuck it, which is a daily thing, an hourly thing. Like a lot of you guys, your dog gets excited. If I did implieds, it's, and I have been racking my brain around this for years. It seems like if I wanted her to stay, I'd have to ask her to down or sit or touch. I'm placing something. And then when I, and then when she did that and I left, it would accomplish the goal of her not running out, but it didn't, it, 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 it's, kind of unrealistic to a lot of you. Same thing like when you're in the car, like when I was living in my van with my dogs, I would open the door and in order for them to stay in position, I would have to ask them to do a behavior like a down or a sit. And that wasn't realistic for me because I had a St. Bernard and another medium-sized dog in a van. So when I went out to open the door, I just said, stay because I didn't, I don't care what the hell they do in there. They can jump on their back legs and, and dance but they can't get out. And, and I feel like a lot of people who do implieds have to put their dog into a behavior in order for the dog to stay because they don't have stay. So it's a great question. Um, it's a, it's, it's a great topic. I think, um, I'm sure that there's a lot of other like pros and cons to this that I'm not thinking about, but for me, like with training, just pets, I, I don't do implies for that reason. Like you go to your back door that your dog goes out to play in every day and you want to go out there and flip a burger on the grill and your dog's like, hey, we're going to go out. You either just 
kick your dog to the side and body block them, or you just say, hey, stay here. You're not going out. And they know that they're not going out. So yeah, that's it. All right. Next one. RBSZ's mom. I listen to the podcast every week as I walk my headstrong girl, Zoe. We are fortunate to live in near Tom's Upstate Canaan Academy. We brought our Zoe there for weekly training at 18 months or 18 months ago. And we could not believe the difference in her behavior. We learned how to properly use the prong collar and it was made all the difference in our walks. I was, I was, I was ignorant about all the tools before going for training. I learned something new every day while listening to this and I appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. Another one. Wookie, Wookie hippie, lots of hearts. Love everything about this podcast. 10 out of 10. Thank you so much for the review. Nina Debbie, love your approach with handling and training. Five-star review. I have a mini golden doodle named Jack. He is two years old and listens quite well and lives to please. When he needs corrections, he seems eager to do as I ask. He walks quite, he walks quiet, sorry, quite well with me and listens when I ask him to heal a question. While on heel on the left side, I have always walked him on my right side and it feels uncomfortable for both of us to switch to the left. Um, So there's no question here, but I understand what you were trying to ask. You were trying to ask, is it okay to heal on the right? Um, The heel... A why heel on the left side, period. Should have been a question mark, but it's okay, Nina. I suck at grammar too. Um, <laughs> so um, it, it it's just traditional style. Like when you're like, I can't, I shouldn't say that. I don't like handling on the right. It's very foreign to me, but listen, excuse me, Nina, do whatever you like. Do whatever's comfortable for you. That's the beauty of like my philosophy of like training dogs. If it, if it doesn't detriment your training, and it makes you more comfortable as a handler, do it, period. That's it. Okay, cool. All right, guys, that's three. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to leave a review. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. I know that I absolutely love this conversation, and I know that this is going to help out a lot of you. So thank you guys again. Um, We'll see you on Wednesday, and hopefully I'll see you guys in London. Let's go. Bye, guys. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.